Well, hello there, FC Dallas Curious fan. Welcome to another edition of Third Degree, the podcast. Hi, my name is Peter, and joining me today are my two good Dallas soccer-talking friends. First, Dan Crook. Hello, Dan. How are you today? Hello, Peter. I'm very well, thank you. uh, I'm calling in from Addison, Texas, where I'm lovingly holding the Brimstone Cup. Oh, you actually have the the actual Brimstone Cup in your possession? I, I have it in my possession. I'll be the one taking it to Chicago. Oh, that's right. You're going to the game in Chicago. All right, we'll talk about more about that here in a little bit. And, of course, uh, founder and co-editor of ThirdDegree.net and uh, your hero and mine, Buzz Carrick. Come in, Buzz. Hello, Peter. Calling in today from uh, Chicago, where I'm at Soldier Field, ready for the Brimstone Cup game. The aforementioned Brimstone Cup. Okay, well, uh, I... I Obviously, you guys have lots of Brimstone Cup talking to do, so we'll get to that here in a little bit. I do think we should start with uh, United States 1, Uruguay 1, which comes on the heels of the 3-0 defeat to Mexico, which I think happened, I think both those games have happened since the last time we've talked. Um, And, uh, you know, while we've seen lots of Reggie, uh, who we'll talk about in a second, we did finally get to see our young maestro paxton pomacall in a full senior outfit as he got i don't know like 90 seconds yesterday at the <laughs> end of the game um guys any particular thoughts you want to throw out there about that sure i uh that was actually more than i expected him to play the five minutes that he got to play as, as bearhalter said before uh the camp started that paxton was being brought in um for a taste that it was a test of how he would react to the step up in uh uh, speed of play, step up to the senior national environment, um, see how the young man did with that, and you know, and sort of just get him in in the loop for the future. Um, and so it, that camp was a test. And Paxton himself said the first three or four three days or so he struggled a little bit, but then he got on the page and figured it out. So um, the fact that Bearhalter, so I went in assuming he wasn't going to play either game, and so the fact that Bearhalter brought him in at the end of the second game to me speaks volumes as to him having passed that test. Yeah, and now I mean, hopefully Berhalter will look for him for more in the future. Yeah, Berhalter had actually been on the record stating that he did not anticipate Paxton was going to play in either game. Uh, and as the uh, Uruguay game continued to chug along and more and more subs came in and the time kept wasting away, I was convinced we weren't going to see him. Um, which, uh, as a fan of uh, Football Club Dallas, I was somewhat relieved about because we know that Paxton's been dealing with some hamstring issues, and man, it would have sucked if he had uh, exacerbated those with any time playing an absolutely meaningless game. Um, But Dan, when he did get on the ball, the one time he actually got on the ball in the three or four minutes he was on the field, he did give a little bit of excitement to the fans. Did he? I didn't watch the game. You didn't Um, watch the game. mm. Yes, he no. uh, he he was out there. Uh, literally, I think he got subbed in at like the 86th minute, 87th minute, um, and it was a good. I don't think he touched the ball until the what buzz the 90, 91st minute. Oh yeah, um, and he got a ball kind of deep, and he took on two defenders, got into the box, and it. He luckily he didn't get himself uh, uh, chopped in two by the the guy trying to clean the ball out. <laughs> Um, but it was one little shiny moment of Paxton uh, playing for his senior team, and it was pretty good stuff. I did appreciate that uh, before the game when they announced the lineup, uh, I think it was like 18 of the first 20 comments on Twitter were, 
why isn't Paxton playing? And it was from all around the country. It's great to see uh, at least the, the excitement that, that fans around the league are getting for Paxton Pomaco and, and the FC Dallas youth. That was uh, exactly what Lucci said, was what Peter, uh, echoing what Peter said, which was a compliment to Paxton, that the minute Paxton got in there, he went right at somebody and complimented his strength of mentality to, that he didn't hesitate and pl- tried to play the way he plays when he went in. And, and so that was, that was as good as it was going to get for Paxton in this camp. And I think everybody, including his own coaches here in Dallas, are really excited about the way it went. Yeah, certainly people are going to be disappointed he didn't get more time. But uh, And as for as many questions as I have about Greg Berhalter, I'm going to uh, suggest that it was probably for the best that he got as few minutes as he did, especially if you have the rest of the uh, Dallas season uh, of high priority and concern. The other thing I did want to bring up, which really annoyed me in the lead-up to the game, was this quote by Paxton uh, related to playing time and age of players and leagues people are playing in. And I was really, really surprised at the number of veteran media, uh, media people, not just general fans, but people like Brooks Tunstall and Taylor Twellman and uh, several other mainstream soccer media journalists who all read into that something like Paxton being snarky. And my immediate reaction is, you clearly don't know anything about Paxton Pomacall. Yeah, those of us here in town that have talked to the kid and been talking to him since he was 15 know that he's not like that. I mean, if you if you want a specific reference, go back to the video that FC Dallas shot when Paxton got named to the All-Star team and go back and look at the expression on his face where he's totally shocked. You know, this, this kid is not an ego. He's not a guy that's going to take shots at people in the media. If you, if you read the article and read the context of what he was talking about, he was talking about the team as a collective being young and how young players are fine as long as they're good enough. And if you're playing at a top-level league, you're great. I think he mentions the age 28. I don't, I don't think that that's a specific shot at anybody. I think he's just randomly saying 21 and 28. Well, Paxton's not 21. He's 19. So, I mean, he's not talking about anybody specifically. He's just speaking of the nature of, of the young U.S. team even now. And, and Paxton is not the kind of guy that's going to uh, take a – I mean, look how well he's behaved – when he lost the not lost a starting job, but sat out the last two games before he left, how he applauded his teammates and supported his teammates. The guy's a great teammate. He's not going to be taking shots at people. Yeah, I think a lot of people thought the twenty-eight was a reference to uh, Jossie Zardes, who, you know, everybody's right to uh, kick. Although I'm starting to feel really bad for the guy at this point because <laughs> I don't know if there's anybody left who thinks he should be playing on this team. Um, but overall, it just uh, always uh, measures out that when I see mainstream soccer media guys all making the same assess- uh, assessment, um, it's, a, it's a bit of a disappointment because that, that's really unfair of Pax to end up having that kind of label thrown on him. Well, I think uh, there's, there's an element of how many people are, you know, are just looking for interactions by trying to take the controversial point. I mean... Twelman does, and then five minutes later, someone tweets out, "You know, how come Jassy Zardes has more caps than all of these players?" And uh, Twelman jumps straight in, like, "Yeah, he has more than I do too." Yeah, Taylor likes to make things about him. <laughs> Ouch. Which is fine. Well, man, hey, look, I, yeah. uh, uh, Taylor has uh, grown in his role. He's not a journalist, and he has a long way to go to understand how journalism works. Uh, but being a personality on ESPN, um, he's made uh, some leaps and bounds and uh, strides in that area. Um, 
But yeah, uh, again, yesterday was really disappointing because I really thought that a lot of people made some assumptions about Paxton's quote that if you if you'd spent even five minutes with the kid, you'd know that that's totally not where he was coming from. I mean, he was just boosting Josh Sargent, nothing else. Yeah, it's okay to yeah, it's it, 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 boosting Josh Sargent doesn't mean that you're cracking on Giassi Zardes. I know everybody wants it to be that. Uh, and by the way, based on Josh's performance last night, I'm not convinced he's that much better than Zardes in, in any way, right? Like, I didn't see him do anything world-beating last night either, so. Well, consider also Altador's 29 and Bobby Wood's 26 and whoever else you want to name that are the prime of their career strikers that, you know, if, you, if you're making a direct Josh Sargent comparison, you know, I... I think people are blown out of proportion. We all know Paxton well enough to know what kind of guy he is, or in, for, at the very least, what kind of statements he makes in the media. And he never does that kind of thing. He never takes shot at people, shots at people. He's always 100% supportive of his teammates. There was some other uh, social media action going on and discussions uh, with some other journalists about the contract status of Paxton and some other parts of his quotes about him uh, having his personal aim of getting to Europe as quickly as possible. And I, again, this is another example of people who, who aren't here locally, who don't cover the guy directly, who have never talked to him personally, that really just have kind of a twisted understanding. Buzz, why don't you set everybody st- straight on what Paxton's contractual situation is with Dallas and what he has said publicly about his plans for himself both with Dallas and going to Europe? Sure. Uh, the first thing to understand is that homegrown deals are done by the league office. They, they, they take them out of the club's hands, and every, almost every single homegrown player signs uh, a three-year plus two uh, individual option years. And so that's what Paxson has, just like Jesus Ferreira does, just like Brian Reynolds does, just like Reggie Cannon does. All four of those guys are this year in the third year of their original homegrown deal. The club has two single-year options on all those players, which could be 2020 and 2021. The club has already started talking to all four of those guys on some level or another. Um, the club has said flat out they don't want to just pay them what those options are because the options are really low as to what they signed when they were 15 years old. That's not fair to Paxton, specifically in this case. So there's a dialogue happening there. One important factor is going to be this, the collective, the new CBA that's coming, the new collective bargaining agreement. So nothing's going to happen until that gets done because no player or team will sign anything when they don't know what the new structure is going to be. So you can expect at the end of the season that all those options are going to get picked up and then the CBA will happen at some point, however long that takes, and then they'll get some new deals done with all these guys. So um, Paxton, the team has said they want to get Paxton on a new two to three year deal. Paxton uh, has not officially said great to that, but uh, when you, he, when he talks about the team specifically, he doesn't talk about, I got to get out of here. I got to get to Europe real quick. He talks about his comfort level. He talks about wanting to be an all-star here. He talks about wanting to be an MVP type player here. So I don't think based on my conversations with him and and he is savvy enough that he hasn't flat out said one thing or another, because he doesn't want to box himself in, but he does talk about FC Dallas in a positive way. And he does talk about how happy he is with the club and with his life and with you know, he's from here, his family's here, his presumably his girlfriend is here, you know, or whatever he's got going socially off the field because I don't pay attention to that stuff. So, you know, I, I don't think the kid's in a massive hurry to get out of here, uh, and I think the team really wants to keep him around for, you know, what what they could keep him around for is the two years for sure, 
but they want to pay him more. And so those two years, maybe 30 years, make perfect sense. And I think that's where this is all heading. Uh, Dan, my uh, suggestion from several weeks ago that FC Dallas sign him to a million-dollar contract each year uh, seems not so far-fetched now, does it? Oh, it didn't at the time, really. It was, you know, what, 200 grand over what what Buzz and I also said. Um, Definitely that U.S. US cap raises value. Uh, Yeah, yeah, definitely doesn't seem far-fetched now. Yeah, I I, I certainly think that uh, if you want to say that Paxton's uh, open... Uh, commitment to staying in Dallas for the near future has yet to be tested by a legitimate offer from a European club. Like that, that sudden, you would totally understand why that point of view or that attitude would change if suddenly, um, you know, Dortmund called and said, "Hey, kid, we want you to come here," or some decent EPL team uh, suddenly wanted him, or something like that. You would you would totally get it. Well, it it has been tested in some sense. Um, yeah, he had a lot of offers as a as a youth. That's one of the reasons, you know, they cited for him having the nineteen jersey. But now there is actual cash that people can wave in front of him and say, "Hey, we can sign you to the to a professional deal." Now it's uh, it's kind of a whole new ball game. Yeah, the, that's that's the X factor in all of this is when you get to the winter window. Uh, you know, for, for which is the main window for MLS teams, but it's the, if that's the middle season transfer window for almost everybody else, is you, you know you never know what kind of offer is going to come in to buy him, which might attract FC Dallas's interest. There is a number, of course, at which they will sell him. Uh, you know, regardless of what they feel about him, and just as there is a number for Paxton that makes uh, sense. I mean, it's like you know, as much as he might be happy here and love to stay here if you throw enough money at the kid he's gonna go it's just like it's like when Mauro diaz got three million dollars to go it's like are you kidding oscar was like there's no way we're gonna stop him from going triple is what he's making you know it's like in paxton's case it would be beyond absurd how much more it would be than what he's making now so you know that's always an x factor and and again in paxton's mind i think that he gets enough and his agent is Corey gibbs and Corey gibbs gets it um, you know, they know the lay of the land too, in terms of the national team and playing. So I don't think they'll make a poor decision about, uh, going or not going, you know, when they know that he's right on the cusp of becoming a senior team player and this next year is going to be really important for him in terms of establishing himself. So, um, you know, we'll see what happens this winter, but, uh, I feel fairly confident that he'll choose to stay, uh, for a couple more years here in Dallas. Yeah, I know a lot of people like to crap on MLS quality, but there is this weird fine chemistry and balance of Paxton having to make a decision of, well, somebody may want me, but what what am I going to get out of that? Am I going to be starting on a really crummy team in the championship? Am I going to be a sitting on the bench in the Bundesliga or uh, you know, uh, uh, Division Two in Germany, something like that? And and there is a value in the idea that he could be a consistent starter at his prime position uh, at Dallas for the foreseeable future. And as long as the Hunts are willing to pay him the proper amount of salary dollars, um, the experience and the day-in, day-out stuff, I'm really... I'm open to having an argument with somebody over the value of him staying here in Dallas versus not getting something equitable to that in France, Germany, England, etc. Um, I, I just think that's not the obvious um, answer. A lot of people, I think it is. 
you have to think about for him what would be the value of being in the MVP conversation at MLS for a couple of seasons as he turns 20, 21, 22. And then where would his value be in terms of a possible sale or move or contract or playing time? I agree. You know, that, that's all a factor. I mean, if you, if you go to Turkey and don't play, I mean, oh my gosh, you know, I mean, it's like that where you go is a huge factor and how much you're going to play is a huge factor as well as it is money and anything else. And, and there is a value to being a starting star player uh, at a highly skilled, highly, highly commoditized position that packs and plays. Uh, Dan, and it, uh, probably the other element to that that we don't talk enough about is uh, guys who play his position in Europe are kind of um, a commodity. Um, uh, they're out there in high numbers, and it wouldn't be easy for him to find a good home uh, uh, immediately anywhere in Europe. No, definitely not. I mean, you look at uh, someone who plays at a high, as high a level as uh, Kevin De Bruyne, uh, how, how long it took him to kind of settle down with one club and actually one position with one club uh you know paxton we've talked about in the past year about him getting moved around to the right potentially getting moved around to the left well that that would be a week-to-week reality for him if in europe if he's playing yeah the other person i want to talk about um is reggie i i just got to be honest i didn't think reggie had his best game against uruguay last night I thought he handled most of the pressure from Mexico fairly well, um, but that's certainly a weakness in his game. Um, uh, and I just wondered if you guys felt the same way after watching both the Mexico and Uruguay performances. Well, I think um, based on where he was after the first Bear Halter camp, when he basically got sent home, uh, I think he's doing good. Uh, you know, he's he's adapted to Bearhalter's system and he's grasping what he's asking for going forward. Even some of that slide inside kind of stuff. Um, I think he's outplayed Lima for the most part in the last two games. Um, you know, I, I it'll be it remains to be seen what happens when Yedlin comes back um, full time. So I think Reggie's in a good spot. I think I think he knows where his improvement's going to be. And one of the nice things for Reggie is that. Bearhalter system and Lucci system are pretty similar. There, there's not a whole lot of difference. So, you know, the more Reggie plays for Lucci, the more he's going to be fitting in with what Bearhalter wants too. So uh, there's a good good synergy there for that young guy as he works on both ends of his game in Dallas. Well, when you say uh, Lucci and Greg's systems are similar, you're talking about the ones that he used this cycle, not the one where the right back rolls into a holding mid position when, the, when they've got the ball. Right, that that's the part that that uh, Reggie struggled with that role that's that uh, rotation into the central midfield part, but he has done it a little bit since then. Uh, but more specifically, I just mean the the possession style uh, that comes from Pep comes from Liverpool. I mean, we know what the style is. Uh, that possession style, that build from the back, the offensive overlap both down the wing and the cut inside part. Um, you know, he's still working on. The playing six part that Bear Halter might want him to do, and they haven't asked him to do that a lot because that's not his bag. But um, you know, outside of that one component, what he's done for, for Greg the last two games and what he does for uh, Lucci are, are pretty much the same. So that's that part synergizes well. 
One of the uh, real measures for me in, in the discussion about what Burhalter's trying to do playing out of the back and that, that crazy uh, discussion that's going on is the easy measure for me is just watching Reggie. You watch Reggie play out of the back for Dallas, and he seems oh so calm and nonchalant about it. But for the United States, Dan, are, are you with me on this? You can tell he's nervous and he's not 100% sure what's going on there. It's, it's like uh, last year, those first few games where... Uh, particularly the the two CCL games where he was, you know, pretty open that he was trying to figure out his balance and, uh, you know, certainly working alongside Michael Barrios week in, week out, try, you know, as somebody who could sort of give him the signal when to go and when to stay. Uh, you know, he he's now got to find his cues elsewhere or, you know, determine when when he should just go on his own. Yeah, I think there's something to be said, Dan, for comfort level, too. You know, as you mentioned with Barrios now, Reggie and Barrios are on the same page. There's a familiarity there. And last night he was playing, was it Boyd, I think, was in front of him? You know, a guy he's played with for five minutes. So, you know, a uh, different holding mid than last last game than the game before, last time Reggie played. So, um, you know, some moving pieces in the national team, some guys he's not comfortable with. And I think that's where that slight hesitation comes from with Reggie. But you can see when they play against lesser competition, he's really feeling good. It really He really stands out. So it, it'll come with time and him becoming more comfortable as he gets more caps and more comfortable with the, when he plays with the same players more going forward. So uh, coming up this Saturday, we have the f- first in a while um, of uh, league games for FC Dallas. They travel to Chicago for the aforementioned Brimstone Cup, which you guys can talk about in a second. Uh, that game is at 2.30 on Univision. Um, it, it is a Univision game. So, uh, Buzz, Paxton's back. You know, this is this is this conversation we had earlier. I'm fascinated to see how Lucci makes a decision to get Paxton back into the starting 11. He's just got to do that, right? That's like the most no-brainer thing on the planet. you got to throw Paxton back in the starting 11, right? Tell me I'm right. Come on. Uh, Come on, tell me I'm right. Know. I don't know that you're right. I, the, you know, the, the problem for Lucci is that is that Paxton wasn't back today. So it's like they're only going to have two days to integrate those guys back in. And Brandon Cervania and Jesus Ferrer are playing fantastic ball. They both came back, charged up, raring to go. They looked at both looked tremendous in training today. Uh, they both have taken a step forward even in the week they were gone, I think, with their confidence. So, um, you know, I, I don't know that Paxton just walks in and takes his job back when those two guys are playing really well. Now, you and I talked last week, and Dan did too, about the idea of playing Paxton on the left wing. But again, he's not back to try that. So it's like I, I don't know that in two days you dismantle what's been working in order to put Paxton back in the lineup. I honestly don't know. I don't think that's the case. Uh, you also have, uh, with regards to Paxton, you have uh, Brian Acosta out on suspension. You could potentially roll, you know, and, and we sort of spoke about it last week and said it's probably not a great way to do it. You you could potentially roll Savania to the six and, and Paxton to more of the eight and kind of go with, uh, you know, it, either having sort of like a more of a, a two eights than a, than a six or, or play that six, eight, ten. But then you've got three guys who are, are in positions that they don't play week in, week out in the midfield. 
Yeah, and I think if you do that too, you also change the, what has been working lately. One of the components of what's been working lately, which is the extra guy getting forward because you're playing a single six. So for me, and, and this is what we saw today in training, it was always Cervania and Ferreira. And then it was either Surreal or uh, Hayes with him. And Surreal was looking like the first choice in that circumstance as he's the guy that can play a single six. So And looks pretty good coming back from U23 camp as well. So, I mean, I think that's the default, unfortunately. And Acosta's suspended, so that's easy. You know, and then you can you can have Paxton come off the bench, and maybe you can play him on the left again, possibly, um, assuming that uh, uh, Baji starts again on the left. You know, and maybe you can sub Paxton in, and maybe he looks good and sharp. And then, and then when you come to the Seattle game five days later uh, on that Wednesday game, maybe there's a chance to rotate a little bit, possibly, and get some different people in. But, um I think for the first game, Lucci said today that it's 100% about Chicago, that he can't think about Seattle at all because of the playoff chase. So I don't think, I honestly don't think Paxton starts. Oh, but come on. I mean, doesn't his like six minutes playing out on the left for the U.S. men's national team count towards, you know, playing that position for Dallas? I would have thought a whole season playing on the left for Oscar Pereja would have counted for that, but yeah. it doesn't seem to have. Uh, you know, I just, I just, you know, based on how Lucci has operated so far and where Paxton uh. was when he left, I don't think that he walks in and takes the spot back from either Cervania or Ferreira, who are both are playing out of their minds right now. Uh, yeah, I'm not worried about that. At the idea that he wouldn't start him over Baji or uh, Mascara, that's the one that. Makes me nuts, and I and I know I get it. I hear you, Buzz. I'm just saying. I think if you're gonna yeah. throw your best eleven out there, Paxton Palmacall's got to be somewhere between one and eleven. I agree with you, but he hasn't. He has if he hasn't trained in that spot one time this year that I've seen. So that makes me think it's not likely. I mean, maybe you know we'll see. I mean, Lucci did was 100 percent clear today that he has not picked a lineup yet, and that there is enough time between Thursday and Friday training for anyone coming back to work their way into the lineup. Is, so is Paxton due back? For practice tomorrow yeah yeah uh, paxton uh all the first team all the u.s guys in acosta are supposed to be back and train tomorrow supposed to be well i think they actually probably got back today but um you know you don't travel in and train you recover but right so they're supposed to be going tomorrow and she said that's plenty of time to integrate them uh especially those guys that are with those senior national teams because there's a lot of confidence in those guys you know they, they don't need much time to integrate back in all right well they uh face a fire team for the brimstone cup again we'll get to that in a second that are uh three uh, one and two in their last uh, six games. They drew at Columbus the last time they played, lost to New England the game before that, and beat Philadelphia, which was a huge win for them um, at home uh, back on the 17th of August. And they are, they're still in it uh, in terms of um, uh, a playoff spot. They are currently in 10th with 34 points, but they are only five points away from the Revolution at 39. So a long shot, but uh, they've still got some, some opportunity to uh, make up some ground. Dallas, on the other hand, after all the action that's happened uh, while they're not playing, and I guess there's still another set of games to be played tonight, uh, Dallas has fallen down behind Portland uh, at least in terms of points per game to the seventh place spot. And then uh, the Galaxy still have another game to play. Does Galaxy play tonight? Yeah, they played yeah, tonight Colorado. Uh, at Colorado. So uh, that'll be an interesting result. It's possible. Uh, yes, it's possible um, that by the time that you hear this on Thursday, Dallas could be out of the playoffs and needing a big win in Chicago. And and I would say either way, uh, at this point, with as few games as Dallas has left, uh, games against uh, Chicago when you got to have to travel to Seattle the game after that is, you know, the proverbial must win. 
yeah, you pretty much have to win your two remaining home games, and then you're going to need something else on the road. As you mentioned, they've only gotten a result like once in 20 visits in Seattle. So, um, you know, you're pretty much targeting this Chicago game as a must result. Get some points on the road here. You do have one, you know, a later uh, game where you have a chance to get uh, some points is at Colorado. There's a chance there. But um, if you can take care of business in this Chicago game, you can make yourself feel really good about, you know, with four games to go where you are. So uh, I would call this not a must win, but a must get points game at Chicago. I want to ask one quick question of you guys Uh-oh. in regards to the fact that we're they also play Seattle before we do this podcast again. Oh, that's right. When is the Seattle yeah. game? That's Wednesday, Wednesday. isn't it? Yes, So I'm here's sorry. the question. Do you sacrifice and play your second team in Seattle? That way you can focus for your home game on the next Saturday. And will that decision be affected by how many points you get or don't get in Chicago? Or do you have to play your first team every game and get maximum points possible over the stretch run? I think it's an interesting question. Oh man, I I I, I got to tell you, uh, I had totally forgotten about that, and I apologize for making this happen at the very end of the pod. I, I, yes, if they get three points in Chicago, I think you can make some adjustments. If they do not get three points in Chicago, you've got to throw out your best eleven, which also includes Paxton Pomacall. Yeah, it does. <laughs> um, in Seattle for sure. I I. And I, I, Buzz, I think you make an argument. Dan, I don't know how you feel about this, but I, there's an argument to be made that you should just pick your best 11 and throw them out there uh, for the foreseeable future because you've got points to collect because that's what everybody else is going to be doing. Yeah, I'd echo that. Um, I would definitely be more inclined to sacrifice Seattle because, let's face it, Dallas doesn't win in Seattle. Um, you know, New York City at home, New York City is a, New York City is a very good team, but... Coming into Dallas, you, you've got a fancy Dallas. Chicago on the road, not a great team. You kind of, you know, it, it should be a good feeling about Dallas at least getting something out of that game, whether it's a point or three points. Um, it, you know, it, it'd be nice if uh, if Dallas didn't play in the same conference as, uh, as Seattle and kind of have that six-point element, but, it's, you know, it, it, it's the one game you look at and you're like, you kind of, you just write it off to some degree. Yeah, I kind of feel like over the stretch run, winning your two home games won't be enough. You have to probably get closer to nine points, which means a win somewhere on the road or a couple of ties in there. I mean, someone will come back, I think, and help you out a little bit, but um, you want to take care of your own business. You got to go to Colorado. That's where you think you can maybe get points too, but they're playing better. They've gotten a couple of results lately. Uh, they can actually help you a lot if they beat LA Galaxy tonight. Um, so, you know, I, I, I think with only five games left, uh, that it's okay to play your first team every single game. The guys that didn't get the national teams got a little of a mental reset. They got a weekend off. They got a chance to, like Matt Hedges got to go home and be with his brand new baby. You know, Santiago Mascara got to go home and be with his brand new baby. You know, various guys got a moment to refresh their mind. And with the guys that went babies. to national. Yeah, with any babies. <laughs> But you still refresh your mind and you get away from soccer a little bit, and that's good at this point in the season. And the guys that went to the national team have come back charged up. So I think it's okay with five games left to not rotate your squad and go after every single game with what you think your best 11 is. But you've got to play them one game at a time. It's like focus on the one at hand and then move forward and see where you are. 
Dan, you are traveling to the game in Chicago, and you are the bearer of the uh, legendary Brimstone Cup. And if there's some chance somebody listening to the pod has no idea what that is and there's little tiny question marks over their head, would you mind uh, providing some background and history to said Brimstone Cup? I mean, I I think you two may be a little more qualified than myself, uh, but yeah, sure. It's uh, the oldest fan-led rivalry in MLS, the first fan-owned trophy in uh, in MLS. The uh, you know the Dallas Burn and and Chicago Fire developing quite the rivalry, thanks Dima Kovalenko, rat bastard, like breaking punk, mf'er, yeah. Rumor has it that there is part of Ronnie O'Brien's leg, like forged inside the trophy. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, yeah. But uh, the trophy's been played for since two thousand and one. It's it was uh, a joint thing between Section Eight for the Chicago Fire and the Inferno. Uh, The Dallas Beer Guardians inherited that when the Inferno. Uh, said their farewells. Um, so it's been uh, it's been played for every season. It has a really interesting shape now because uh, in 2012, somebody in Chicago dropped it from the enormous capo stands they have behind the goal. Um, very very dinged up, but fortunately <laughs> that's on the Chicago side, not the Dallas side. <laughs> not well cared for is what you're saying um i mean it is it you know i i, I polished it the other day um i'm sure i mean you it's did. yeah it's it's obviously it's, uh, it's it's obviously well made it was made by rs owen the people that made the oscar statuettes for god knows how many years up until a couple of years ago and they lost the contract uh but yeah uh after that incident nobody was it, it was repaired but no one was really willing to uh to shell out for like a full repair so it's got a couple of little braze marks on it and and some dents and things and scratches some bondo it makes it awesome yeah uh yeah i mean a lot of people you know there's there's people that are upset about it still and there's people that say you know it adds character i i, I think it adds character personally but you know what dan i'm gonna need you to take a photo of it uh, a good photo of it so we can make it the uh, photo for the pod this week please well if you go to brimstonecup.com You'll see many photos of it and videos and highlights of most every game between Dallas and Chicago. Uh, that's something that, that Buzz and I have been putting together uh, over the last like year and a half. A lot of fun facts, like Kenny Cooper being the top scorer for the uh, the competition, and uh, well, I'll give Dan credit. I, both sides. I made that site for about. 15 years I maintained it and then over the last year Dan has taken over the responsibility for uh, the web build on it and looks much better than the, the hack job that I did. Alright, so a quick question for you guys. Now that uh, Dallas is no longer known as the burn and, and the brimstone continued to be a thing, if in fact the ownership group in Chicago is successful in getting that team rebranded and it's no longer called the fire and I don't know if that's actually going to happen or not um, will the Brimstone Cup continue on as is? Uh, I would think so. I was slightly disappointed that neither one of you guys reacted when I said I was at Soldier Field on my call in instead of Bridgeview. Uh, that's right. I, sorry, uh, I, I, I missed yeah. that Easter egg. Sorry, Buzz. <laughs> yeah, I laid a little egg there. And no one caught it. Uh, my joke was probably <laughs> lame. Um, 
you know, I think the biggest detriment to the Brimstone Cup these days is the fact that Chicago's in the Eastern Conference. I mean, I, I have a hope that as MLS expands and maybe there's going to be a Central Conference someday again and maybe the, the two teams will get back together. But, um, you know, there's enough history there that I hope the fans can continue to maintain it and keep it going. I don't think it would matter if the Fire rebranded. I mean, FC Dallas is not the Dallas Burn anymore. And if Chicago Fire was some other name, uh, I'm, I'm, I don't think they're going to change. It's too good of a brand. But even if they were, may, that might just add a little more mystique to the name. Why in the world is they play with this cup called the Runestone Cup when neither team has anything to do with that? But uh, that'll that'll be kind of fun. Uh, I want to throw in real quickly. My favorite Brimstone Cup moment is the oh. the uh, the goal that uh, that was started that, that Zarco Rodriguez scored with three seconds left, uh, or that started from Zarco. I think I can't remember which one it was against the Chicago Fire to knock them out. Um, you know, back when the clock ticked down at the Cotton Bowl, Peter, you probably remember this goal. Yep. There was something like seven seconds left on the clock, and Dallas Byrne took the ball all the way up the length of the field and scored with three seconds left to eliminate Chicago. That was a pretty exciting <laughs> moment in Brimstone Cup history. Yeah. Uh, uh, you know, obviously, it, it was I, – I was never a big fan of Ron Newman, the coach of the Wiz. I didn't like oh. him or his yep. goofy son – uh, but my first true hatred of anybody in Major League Soccer was reserved for Dima Kovalenko when he broke Brandon Pollard's leg on that absolute crap tackle, that purposeful leg break um, on that fateful day that essentially ended Brandon's career. Um, and uh, then, it, then when he did it, what was it, two years later when he – maybe not as maliciously uh, broke uh, Ronnie, o Ronnie O'Brien's leg um, in, a, in another game. So uh, I'm not a fan of Mr. Kovalenko. And I'm, I'm just, you know, maybe he's died. <laughs> yeah, those, those early days, there was some serious heat to that rivalry from the players, too. I mean, they, they took that thing quite seriously, and those two teams did not like each other. And uh, it fed over to the fans and fed back and forth. And when you're playing four times a year and it met in the playoffs, it was fantastic. And like I said, being in the other conference hurts it. But, um, you know, for the foundation of this franchise and its first ever real rival, the Chicago Fire, that was that was where it was at. It was. And, uh, Dan, I have two questions for you. One is, are the Chicago fans, is there any any segment of the Chicago fans that are still interested in this at all? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Section 8. Um you know, treat it as as it's always been. Okay, that's um, good. All right. Um, it's there's kind of like a it, it's kind of interesting because you know, like just the fire themselves have been talking about the Brimstone Cup rivalry all week. Um, FC Dallas has not made a single mention of it. Um, <laughs> you know, a lot of fans in Dallas don't care for it or don't know about it. The I mean, you know, let's be honest. The well, there's just there's nobody in the front office anymore that has any ties to those old days. That has any understanding of it. They, they don't. And I get it. It's just not part of their day to day uh, existence of the club, and and that's really disappointing. That's too bad. Yeah, but have you ever, you know, typically when you work somewhere, you know the history of the organization. It's kind of, you know, imparted uh, yeah. on you. Yeah, I think I think most of that departed. Uh, with Oscar, um, with Jason Minnick, and definitely um, with Bobby Hammond. When Bobby Hammond left, uh, the totality of all the memories and knowledge of all things dating back to 1996 largely went out the door. Well, yeah, now history began in 2002, 2003. 
Yeah, it whenever the hunt's bored. But... Yeah, <laughs> just in time for South Lake. Yeah, that's too bad. Field. Yeah. yeah, those are the days. Um, okay, so uh, that game uh, is a 2.30 start on Saturday on Univision, uh, the Brimstone Cup. A very important game. Now, the other important thing uh, to note that took place this week was uh, with the kids. Um, Huntsman Jr., as I like to call them. North Texas Soccer Club is uh, quite an achievement for those guys uh, and another clobbering on their part. Yeah, they continue to clobber almost anybody that comes to Dallas. Um, and with their win this weekend, they've now clinched the top two finishes in the league. Uh, and they only have four games left, I think it is. So um, maybe it's three. can't remember exactly. Uh, they're in a really good position to win the whole th- the, the, the regular season title, if you will, uh, running away. They only have a couple games left. You know, they, they continue to use a mix of FC Dallas player, uh, players that aren't playing very much, your Johnny Nelsons, your Ja'Cory Hayes, and your Colin Montgomery's, and then a whole bunch of their guys and, a, and several academy kids, like a 16-year-old Jonathan Gonzalez started at left back again, a guy who's a high-priority signing target. So, you know, they consider, they continue to run over USL 1 without any problems, and, and they've got to be the favorite for the whole thing at this point. And, uh, another big win, another good performance. Went right up against the U.S. national team game, unfortunately. So probably not a, a lot of people were watching it. But um, they play some great football. Arturo Rodriguez had a goal and an assist. Uh, he, he should be your league MVP in that league. Damus is your leading scorer in that league with now 16 goals. I mean, it's a terrific team, and they play great soccer, and it's a lot of fun to watch. Uh, this would probably be the best time for us to have included John because he's the uh, computer that can instantly pull up this stuff. But I'm going to guess... Uh, in general, road records in USL one are pretty crappy across the board. Uh, that probably is the case. Uh, let me dial it up real quick, and I'll tell you. Yeah, I just uh, you know because the question as this as this this inaugural season is rolled on, and it's become very clear that without without much effort. Uh, North Texas is uh, uh, a class above everybody else that's playing in this division. The question then becomes, when does participating in USL 1 suddenly lose its luster and value, uh, which was the whole point to North Texas in the first place, and then there's, sudden, there's this sudden urge for them to go play in the, uh, in the top division of USL? Well, to answer the question, they're five, four, and two on the road. I, I imagine they're the only team above five hundred on the road. Um, you know, that's part of the good, that's part of the problem or the issue that we've been talking about this team from the get go. Uh, Oscar Pereira wanted this team to be a USL championship team, but what we've talked about before the reported expansion fee for USL championship is twenty five million, whereas the USL one one was something like five hundred thousand or something. So it's it's an order of magnitude different, and you can't. Uh, blame the hunts i don't think for not no. spending 25 million dollars <laughs> to be in the higher league so um you know there is discussion with the idea that someday usl might use promotion and relegation between their leagues you know there probably will always be a stadium component to that where you have to have a certain amount of facilities because they are implementing uh stadium em- rules for usl championship uh, minimum standards kind of stuff so um, and I think some of the other – there's a whole debate going on right now with the other teams that have – the other MLS teams that have whatever twos versions of themselves um, that are playing in the championship. Some of those guys and some of the MLS guys want to go down because of costs. Nobody in a competitive sense wants to be down. They all want to be in the USL championship. 
Um, you know, what, that's a big problem for Dallas, as we understand it, because when you're sending down MLS players and you're using your academy and using the guys that you signed that you think you can develop for MLS, your talent level is better than USL 1. I mean, you can look at their record and see that. You want to play teams that are better than you, not worse than you. That's how you get better is play people to better. So it would actually be better for FC Dallas if North Texas wasn't running away with this league that it was good enough. I think it'll get better over time. It may not ever be good enough. It may be that you have to go to the championship to actually get for FC Dallas, whose academy is so good. You may have to go to the championship to find teams that actually beat you on a consistent basis and make you better. Yeah, that would uh, certainly <laughs> that would be an ironic twist if after finally getting off the pot and putting together a USL team, uh, you put a team together so good that you're in a position where you, where your only solution to really make something out of it is to spend $25 million to play in the better division. I don't know what Clark and Hunt would do with themselves if they were really forced to uh, have to make a, a choice. I mean, I do know what they would do. I totally know. They're going to stay in one. They're not going to spend the money to do it. Yeah. But that, that certainly uh, would be an ironic um, result considering how long we've all waited for them to put this team together only to find out all of the other stuff they've been doing so well has is so successful that they've put a team together that just isn't actually getting anything out of uh, playing in the league. I think there's a day when this league is valuable enough and rich enough as a collective league that they require every MLS team to have a U23 team, and there's an MLS U23 league for them to all play in by themselves. I mean, the reason we have... Team, the, the six or seven teams that run a, a second team, they're in either USL 1 or 2 because there's nowhere else to go. So, I, you know, I, I can foresee a day that that happens where, you know, where everybody is big enough and everybody has enough people to do it. So uh, I think the long term, that's the solution. The short term, you're going to just have to hope that the league gets better. I mean, there's a couple more teams coming in with MLS 2 teams, apparently, and there's a couple of teams coming in being found in other places. And, and hopefully the, the level of play gets better. It's also worth keeping in mind that this is the first year of USL League One. You know, teams were con were constructing the rosters and really didn't know. You know what we nobody really knew what the uh, what the level was actually going to be. We hoped it was going to be close to USL Championship. We feared it would be closer to USL Two, which I mean, it has been. A couple of the teams have really just stepped up from USL Two. You know, hopefully now that the FC, uh, well, North Texas FC has set that bar, there'll be, you know, some some teams striving to get closer to it, and uh, you know, and with, especially with the newer teams, if there's a uh, somebody investing in there, hoping to uh, to compete, that we'll actually, you know, see some. Well, not the four nil from last night. Well, uh, good luck to them. They've locked up. Did you guys say they've locked up a home field advantage through the semifinals? Yeah. Well, there only is semifinals. Well, four teams make the playoffs, ah, but they've okay. locked. They but they have locked up the home field. So the games at uh, Toyota, uh, Toyota Stadium on uh, October twelfth. And uh, they don't know somebody. They don't know who they're playing. No, because the team they beat last night could finish as high as second or like eighth. So like the, the behind them is a whole bunch of guys in a pack. And is, so we'll, is, we'll see. Is there one team uh, in the conference that is the most likely opponent in the final that would give them the most trouble? Yeah, that's uh, that's probably Lansing, um, who's a 
a little bit of an older team, a very physical team, a very vertical kind of direct team. They look like a 1990s <laughs> pro United States team, kind of. Um, right. th- they're probably the best team uh, outside of uh, North Texas, although Greenville has basically uh, turned it up a little bit too. But I think Lansing's Greenville do know how to stop North Texas, unfortunately. Yeah. Lansing's won five in a row, though. So, I mean, they're hot and... And they're, they're they have the most wins outside of Dallas, uh, Dallas, North Texas. What's so uh, let's hope for forward Madison anyway. What is yeah. uh, North Texas records against those two teams? Uh, that's a good question. Let's look. look they've beat everyone. Well, uh, right. yeah. Greenville let's did hold see. them to a to a goalless draw at home, and uh, they just sat in a low block and and just didn't engage at all yeah they're one one and one against greenville and the ignites they've uh (laughs) they lost uh ignite (laughs) yeah lansing ignite is the name of that team they're uh i think that's a a misapplication of accent of uh emphasis Mm -hmm. let's see it looks like they are one one and one against the lansing ignite so there you go what about greenville well i'm one and one oh okay i thought you said uh ignite on both of those okay no. So, so there's a there's a possibility they could face yep. a, a rough spell, but of course they'll just roll out their best eleven, which is <laughs> significantly <laughs> better than anybody else's best yeah. eleven. And well, and if they finish in first place, they'll have home field for the final. And um, you know, you have to turn in at the like there's a late point in the season. I don't remember the exact date where you have to turn in your roster basically for the playoffs, which is basically anyone you've used over a certain number of games or something. So they're going to have. The you know the MLS send downs at their disposal for um, the playoff games and it, when you run out of pretty good stellar defense when you have Cal Montgomery and Johnny Nelson you know and, and Jacory Hayes coming down and you know that's a, even Brian Reynolds if you want you know you could send down Thomas Roberts I mean that's a pretty uh, one of the games they started the other day literally the eleven guys that played have all either already played in MLS or have a good shot to make it to MLS in the next year or so so it's it's you know it's a pretty tough team they can roll out when they set their minds to it. All right. Uh, very good. Hey, Dan, I meant to ask you, how uh, how are you feeling about Ingerland uh, with your two big wins in um, European qualifying? Uh, ask me after England's played a team of professional players. Uh, come on, that Kosovo team's pretty exciting. For a team that's only been in existence for like three years <laughs> as, a, as a nation, a national team. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, they know. were in second place when they played them in their group. It's not that shoddy. Yeah, I mean, you know, yeah. Listen, I'm Saint Vincent USA. and the Grenadines sometimes play above themselves too. Listen, I'm to hyped him. for USA Cuba coming up. That's my. I'm excited for that. Uh, yeah did did I see right that five guys from the Cuban yeah. team defected the other day? Yeah, five more. I think it's been nine total, like in the last year and a half. It's like they may not have any players left. Yeah, by the time uh, they play the United States. Uh, oh, well. All right. Well, Dan, uh, do you have anything? You've been awfully quiet in this particular episode. I want to give you the floor to, uh, you know, put out into the universe whatever you'd like, whatever content you may have. Actually, there is one thing I just thought of. Uh, you know, last week we spoke about uh, Chiamaru Bagagu uh, signing for what's effectively the Real Madrid women's team and, you know, the first, uh, just in time for the first women's uh, El Clasico. Yeah. Yeah, they got uh, they got stomped nine one. <laughs> <laughs> well, it is Barcelona they're playing. Yeah, yeah. you know, yeah. I I will say this. I'll, I'll throw this in here. I I have been very interested 
in watching from afar how women's soccer is being attended to uh, by the different media. And I, let's just we'll move over to England for an example. For example, uh, now there was uh, last weekend there was the start of the WSL, which is um, uh, the English top flight for women, um, and they had two big matchups: Tottenham and Everton. Was that what it was, Dan? Uh, Tottenham played Chelsea. Chelsea, that's who it was. And and then it was the Manchester Derby, City versus United. United playing in this division for the first time after putting a team together uh, and debuting it last year in the second division, and they blew everybody out and made it to the top flight. And uh, the Manchester Derby had like 40,000 people show up for that game, and City won it on a single goal. Chelsea and uh, Tottenham had like 30,000, but we also found out that they gave away all those tickets. But the people still showed up, and that was a big deal over there. Yeah, so there was a, it was kind of interesting because it was, you know, the Manchester Derby was, it was seven pounds a ticket. It was the first time they'd played it, the Etihad. And Chelsea announced that, you know, oh, I've sold out all, all 41,000 tickets. Yeah, we gave them away for free. Well, the problem is, and this is kind of the problem that every club has on the sales level, if you give away something for free, people don't value it. You don't, you'll you go, oh, no, I snapped a shoelace. I won't leave the house now because that didn't cost me anything. You know, don't know how often you snap a shoelace, but... We get your um, <laughs> analogy. Damn. Yeah, it was it was a crap analogy, but yeah. Um, whereas, you know, if you pay a dollar for something, you're still like, I did spend money on this, so I probably should use it. And that happened. You know, Chelsea got 26000 when they expected 41000 Man City knew they were going to get 30000 and they got $30,000. Chelsea was a little bit... Uh, there was the issue that it clashed with the England game, which uh, was was at Wembley. So, you know, there would have been people either going or watching on TV or something, or you know, anything like that. Hmm. Um, you know, and I think honestly, Manchester's just a a more engaged city when it when it comes to soccer. Well, uh, both the Times and the Guardian and most of the other English newspapers uh, have uh, dedicated quite a bit of coverage to the women's game over there, more than we obviously see anything over here with the NWSL. Um, I don't know. It, you know, those are big-name clubs. I, I, I think I understand that the level of play over there is not as good game in and game out as the NWSL. Like, the worst NWSL team would probably do very, very well in the top flight in England or Spain. Um, but those are such massive brands that are putting a lot of power behind that. Um, it'll be, it's just interesting to watch that progress over uh, the next few years, for sure. By the time we do the next pod, we'll know a lot more about the uh, rest of the how the rest of the season is going to go down because two games will be have been played and uh, those will both be big big results. Okay, we'll try this again. Dan, thank you very much for your uh, time and effort today. Thank you, Peter, and uh, thank you, Buzzard. Always, you're welcome. All right, thank you, FC Dallas Curious fan. We will speak to you next week on a big important episode of Third Degree, the podcast. Thank you.